Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are listening to a Mint production. Brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and welcome to Mint Dialogues, a weekly podcast where we focus on the big questions in personal finance and investing. My name is Neil Borate and I head the personal finance team at Mint. I will be your host for this podcast. The podcast is a Mint production and is available on htsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcast producing platform. Hello everyone. Um, We have an exciting discussion planned on whether the housing market in India has turned a corner after nearly a decade of slowing growth. The panel of experts that we have assembled uh, will be introduced in the start of the session, but uh, I have left out two members of the panel because they joined a little late. So let me introduce them now. Uh, We have Mani Rangarajan, Group COO. Housing.com, Makan.com, and PropTiger.com, and Dipali Sen, founder, Srujan Financial Advisors. We have Kumaran Chandrasekharan, uh, fund manager, AIF Credit, Sundaram Alternates. We have uh, Shekhar Tomar, assistant professor, economics and public policy at ISB Hyderabad. We have Virendra Zoshi, senior vice president, research, Anurag Property Consultants. And we should have the other two panelists join us as we go along. So let me just give a very quick introduction. If you were to simply pull up the RBI house price index over the past uh, 10 years, the graph is just one of uh, decline, decline, and further decline. So the growth rate of house prices, according to that index, was as high as 25% when this decade opened in 2011-12. Now it is 2 to 3%. So you know, all eyes are usually focused on the stock market, but here is a, is a graph that has gone in completely the other direction. So, you know, we might well be at an inflection point simply for that reason. Uh, the other thing I'd like to discuss is how the nature of the housing market has changed because of this pandemic. Are we going to see perhaps a shift in demand for larger sized homes? Uh, all of these issues will greatly affect the investment decision. Um, hi, Virendra. What is your sense of the housing market? Have we, by any chance, reached an inflection point? Yeah, thank you, Neil. And uh, good evening, everyone. So the answer is not as simple as the question, Neil. But uh, yes, we seem to have bottomed out in 2020. And um, there are a couple of uh, data points that I want to start off with discussing. And then probably we can elaborate on uh, other factors. So what has happened is since 2014, we have seen that the market is continuously on a decline, you know, in terms of supply absorption. When I say supply, that is new houses coming in the market as well as absorption is sales, right? So we have been seeing that the good days of five and a half like unit launches across top seven cities have gone. We are now at around three, three and a half, then down to two, two and a half. Last year due to COVID, we have seen only 1.5 lakh odd units launched across top seven cities. So if you look at these trends, you know, it clearly indicates that a 77% decline in new launches of 2020 and a 60% decline in sales over 2014, that is the previous peak. The market clearly seems to have bottomed out. Uh, When COVID hit, we were all apprehensive whether this is the end of the residential real estate market because nobody really wants to make investments there. But it doesn't seem to be so. You know, we have seen that there's a huge demand, there's a huge pent-up demand that has come up post-COVID and maybe subsequently we'll discuss on the reasons why. But my take is, yes, the market has bottomed out in 2020 and we are seeing a now change in the cycle. Now the journey is upward, according to me. Shekhar's team has come up with a very interesting index, which shows that actually post-pandemic sales have dropped substantially. 
which might sort of contradict your assessment. So, Shekhar, would you like to elaborate on that? Uh, thanks, Neil. Hi, everyone. It doesn't completely disagree with Virendra because we saw an immediate fall after the first wave and then we saw some pickup up until, uh, I would say, end of December and even January 2021. And we were almost reaching the same level of sales as we have had before the pandemic. But then the problem started with the second wave and uh, at least based on the sales index that we have created alongside with housing, we find that uh, the dip was significantly larger than the first wave. So now we again saw some recovery happening in June, but we have to see how big that rebound is going to be. Yeah, I think there was a rebound after the first wave, but it petered out because of the second wave. But I don't see it being driven by some fundamental factors within the real estate or specific to real estate. I think it's more pandemic driven. So there are chances of it going back again to the same level and the pent up demand uh, hitting the market again. Okay, so the decline isn't for fundamental reasons. Kumaran, would you agree with that? Uh, we are at an inflection point. I'll I'll try to start with one thought. See, the cycle, when you, when you just talk about a cycle, I, I just want to give you an anecdotal uh, reference to, say, bicycle. When you ride a bicycle, so the activity is happening at the back wheel, whereas you only see the front wheel moving at first. So that's what, as Neil mentioned, that uh, the prices have come down. Prices is just an effect of the cycle turning down or up. So actually, the uh, cycle has been determined by many other factors, but not the price. As Varendra said, yes, supply is the predominant factor, which actually plays a larger role. And as I see, uh, Neil, the supply is coming back rather predominantly for a reason, because mm-hmm. it's at a rock bottom. When the economy grows up, real estate is a larger contributor to the economy. So, say for example, it's it's at least three to five percent of the overall GDP. So, and construction is around eight percent. So, real estate is part of that. So, when when the economy grows, real estate grows along with it. So, there is a more growth story which follows along with it. So, yes, I see there is an inflection point around the corner. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Mani, would you like to uh, elaborate? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll start off with. Uh, you know, talking about online demand because uh, online demand is a leading indicator of where the real estate market is headed. Uh, so when uh, the first phase of the pandemic happened last year, uh, we saw demand show a steep fall, particularly in April, where uh, the buy side, which includes uh, both the demand for new homes as well as for resale homes, declined by about 40%. And the rent side declined by about uh, And then demand recovered subsequently in the months of June and July and then showed a pretty strong uptick till March. And in April, we again saw demand go down. But the difference was that the uh, decline in demand that we saw in April was not as significant as what we saw in April last year. Along with that, high segment in terms of online demand is growing faster than the rent segment which seems to indicate that people uh, want to buy a home uh, as opposed to renting a home. There are, of course, there are renters uh, in the market, uh, but the number of people who seem to want to buy a home is larger than the number of people who want to rent a home. And that's a very, very significant trend change from what we have seen over the last few years. Um, So that's one piece of it. The second part of it is uh, it's a mortgage-enabling regime, and uh, interest rates are at a 15-year low. And it just seems to me like, given the recent uh, monetary policy stance uh, that the RBI is taking, the interest rates will continue to be low. Uh, you know, maybe for the next uh, six months or so. And uh, so, what's happened is that uh, people's home loan eligibility has increased. And consequently, their affordability uh, has increased. Uh, People are out there uh, looking for homes. And uh, we saw a pretty strong recovery in the month of June. In April and May this year, uh, we saw a very steep decline year over year from the prior year. Not because uh, people were not in the market to buy homes, but simply because the lockdown, you know, did not facilitate site visits and a lot of the sites across the country were uh, kind of closed. Uh, but towards the end of May and the early part of June, 
we saw Mumbai and Pune back in action. Uh, and we are seeing very strong traction in both cities. And in the month of July, we are seeing, uh, you know, the southern cities also perform well. South uh, was the last to kind of fade away uh, at the onset of the second wave because the lockdown is imposed the last. And it was the last to almost recover. So in July, I can broadly say that in tier one cities, we have seen a pretty strong recovery in terms of new home sales. And uh, we are, in fact, seeing a stronger recovery in the Tier 2 cities. So the demand growth in Tier 2 cities, uh, which started last year, uh, which may perhaps be an indicator of, of reverse migration. It's too early to talk about reverse migration. But it's very interesting that the demand for real estate in Tier 2 cities has also been accompanied by demand for e-commerce um, in Tier 2 cities and demand across various sectors as well, right? So we are seeing a pretty strong growth in tier one and tier two cities. And uh, when talking to developers, we find that uh, we are likely to see a strong growth in supply this year. When I say strong, uh, you know, I'm not referring to uh, the days of 2015, 2016, as Virendra had pointed out. Uh, but we are likely to see more influx of new supply in the market compared to what we saw last year. So barring any third wave, you know, which might derail uh, growth, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, I agree with Virendra that uh, we have probably bottomed out and uh, the, the growth uh, trajectory is going to be upwards from here. Sure, point taken. The Bali, normally financial advisors don't recommend housing as an investment, but most Indians do end up with quite a bit of real estate in their portfolios, especially H&Is. So when your clients come to you and they're quite set on buying real estate, what do you tell them? Uh, what I'm saying is, as you rightly mentioned, Neil, my approach is uh, more the coming in approach is uh, do, does my client need to buy a house as in, in terms of roof over his head. For investment purposes, I am a little uh, worry of rushing into it because it does involve a huge outlay. And as we have all kind of seen over the last seven, eight years, it hasn't kind of yielded. And I'm actually not uh, sure whether it has bottomed out uh, because I don't see much of correction. What has happened is it hasn't gone up in line with inflation or it has just kind of gone up by two, three percent. So I haven't seen that. Uh, I'm not sure it has bottomed out. So uh, from the investment perspective, if one is looking for capital gains, I'm not so confident. I'll see that a lot of money will be made. And from uh, commercial or real estate, in terms of rental yield, we all know how woefully low it is. So it, it's very custom-based approach. Does the client need it? Not based on whether the market thinks it has gone down and it's a good price to enter because it comes at a huge cost of either taking a loan or even if you're funding it, it does end up skewing the asset allocation by making it lopsided in favor of real estate. Okay. Sorry, Neil, can I just come in here? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, so just, just adding to what Dipali said and what Mani rightly said that affordability is at all time best, you know, what happened is COVID actually changed the perspectives towards uh, real estate purchases. So, you know, initially everyone felt like real estate investments are just from an investment perspective or maybe like a young guy's parents are saying, okay, you need to buy a house and that's why people used to buy. Now let's look at what happened to stock markets in March 2020. You know, Sensex declined 32% in a, over February 2020. So that, that was a big jolt, you know, to investors also. While we all realize, and I agree with Dipali that not real estate prices have not moved. So, but I, I look at it as a stable uh, investment asset, you know, so there is less volatility. People realize the need of owning a home now because uh, during COVID, there were a lot of housing societies wherein tenants were not allowed to come in because of restrictions and all that reason. So people realize, yes, I need a home for my own. Plus, we were spending a lot of time at home. Like we all have been at home for the past 15, 18 months. So work from home, online schooling, everything is uh, now become a part of our life. So we need a large home. We need a home that we own and we can customize it as per our requirements. You know, and last but not the least, unlike a stock market investment or say a gold, real estate imparts a social security. You know, that is very important in these uncertain times. You know, if, if everything goes wrong, everything goes against me, I still have a house where I can live and continue working from home or doing something on my own. Yeah. So just two cents from my side on that so, point. Virendra, so you're talking about home for 
end use for staying in which i don't think financial advisors dispute uh, right. probably correct me if i'm wrong yeah usually the aversion is towards buying a home for investment or renting out although again you know lakhs of indians do that as well so since we are on that subject you know what are the two or three things that somebody who is buying a home for investment should look at what are the metrics that they should look at uh, for example rental yield could be one does anybody want to come in on that yeah so other things which one could look at is uh, besides rental yield occupancy ratio what are the maintenance costs what are the costs of let's say it going up in terms of value and whether my other uh, asset classes are going to take care of my short medium goals because often real estate for investments is indivisible i mean i can't sell one kitchen one hall if i just want to part remove the money and uh, howsoever it may give a security in terms of tangibility of assets i realize it's also very uh, illiquid at times so what my neighbor would have sold at uh, i am unlikely to get that price if i so desire in the next 2 3 months if i so choose to sell in times of need so it's not something which is very convenient or can be partially sold there is a good amount of opacity in price level so uh, on many such parameters for me and my clients i am not uh, entirely excited about rushing into a real estate which can be a huge amount of commitment to so uh, so neel if i can uh, can i uh, sure, uh, just sure. uh, put forth a couple of points see on on the prop tiger platform uh, about 85 to 90% of people who are currently in the market uh, are uh, end users and uh, only about 10 to 15% tend to be investors right that's the same thing which we have seen on the housing side as well and in fact when you look at the trends over the years the percentage of investors has not really grown right in in, in the real estate sector uh, and uh, as dipali mentioned there are a couple of reasons for that so one is uh, we are not seeing very significant price appreciation in uh, some cases in a lot of cases in fact the price appreciation has been lower than the rate of inflation except for cities such as ahmedabad and hyderabad hyderabad in particular over the last couple of years has steadily seen like almost like a 5% annual increase in uh, prices right i think it's incorrect to generalize uh, as to whether real estate is an investment asset or not uh, there's a lot of stability associated with real estate but considering the low rental yields and also the fact that uh, you know the asset can be illiquid I, i think it's important to look at the form of real estate i mean are you looking to invest in an apartment are you looking at a fractional ownership of a commercial real estate space uh, which can get risky at times but the returns there are pretty decent or are you planning to invest in land uh, of late we have seen number of investors come forward to invest in land whether it's plots or uh, agricultural land or farmland particularly in southern markets in uh, tamil nadu in telangana as well as in karnataka right so there seems to be a popular view out in the market that land is a good asset to buy in and will appreciate over time right it may be true it may not be true and it really depends on the micro market that you're uh, buying in right and the and the developer who's actually marketing the plot or land right so one cannot simply generalize saying that you know land is something that somebody can go and blindly invest in and even then one should also remember that real estate as an asset can be illiquid i wouldn't say it is illiquid again depends on the market conditions uh the micro market that you're investing in uh, so broadly uh, at this point in time it's an end user driven market and i think it will continue to be an end user driven market at least for the next 12 to 18 months that's uh, my point of view sure but another way of investing in real estate is through a fund and such as the one that kumaran manages so do you want to tell us about that kumaran and what kind of yields you are getting yeah so okay before getting into it i'll just uh, drop one radical thought and then get into the fan see dipali uh, as mani also suggested see, be it end user or other real estate is the only investment asset class where the investment can be leveraged where you can borrow funds at a much much cheaper rate put your own equity at a much lesser contribution to the overall purchase rate and still get a larger uh, capital gains 
So that people are missing and also it's a faster way of wealth accumulation when you do it. Because usually the loan closure rates, home loan closure rates as per RBI is 5 to 7 years. Though their loan tenure is up to 25 years. That means 5 to 7 years you're uh, getting an asset worth of say equivalent to at least one year of your take-home pay. So that's another aspect to add. Sorry, yeah, Kumar, I'll, uh, I'll the next question. metric you're saying? See, the metric is, say, for a, for a real estate, you can borrow loan to buy a real estate, but you cannot do that for gold or others because that are costlier. Or you need to borrow, say, personal finance rates or so. Whereas real estate, you can buy a, you can borrow a home loan. Got it. So home much loan rates rate. are a lot lower than personal. Home loan personal rates rate. are for 80% contribution of the investment uh, value. So that means you're putting in 20% equity until gaining the larger amount of your overall capital gains. So just wanted to bring that proportion into the play one. So coming to the fund, yes, the real estate is still giving the from the fund investment, uh, I mean, institutional investment per se. Okay, so you made uh, two very interesting points. One is that there are lower rates on home loans compared to other kinds of loans and you get a pretty substantial uh, amount of debt related to equity. Although that could be a double-edged sword. I mean, if you're saddled with a lot of debt, then... Uh, no, but for investors, it is not. Now, investors, the capability is already there. So, the debt is only a matter of uh, using other people's money to accumulate the asset. Okay, fair enough. Um, but if you could elaborate more on the fund route towards investment, sure. because then your ma- money is managed professionally. Correct, um, correct. Don't have to correct. deal with some of the liquidity issues of directly buying real estate. Exactly. So one is liquidity. Another is you can, the diversification. You need not buy just one property for all the money you're putting in. You can invest in across, say, across geographies, across projects, which has been managed by the fund. That is true. And number three, your returns are more or less assured because it's in the form of loan, which is going to come back. It is not a market factor, which has been driving any price appreciation, which you are looking forward because there are, there are various factors which comes into play. Whereas here, it's more of a, credit loan or an investment you do it and then you get a return out of the asset which gives you back so the ease of return the ease of investment diversification and yes liquidity and the fixed tenor so you can easily expect within four or five years because in real estate sometimes people wait for seven years or ten years to nails point the price to come out uh, come up and then give you the yield um, valid points but on the flip side there have been a lot of defaults in uh, real estate funds in the past four or five years. A lot of funds haven't been able to even return the capital. And uh, once a builder defaults, then the case hangs for years in IBC. So the collateral doesn't seem to mean much. So wh- how do you uh, deal with those kind of risks? Yeah, uh, I will also touch upon one of the points which Dipali said. There is a lot of opacity which is there in the sector. That was also a cause of concern uh, and uh, maybe a cause of uh, some of these uh, earlier problems because there were, earlier there were no RERA, there were no GST and there, there was no much of professionalism in the handling of the monies and, and people were more chasing the land investments and the approval risk which was a key risk that was not weighed in correctly earlier. Because that came into picture only after the NJT and environmental and other policy changes which has happened in the last decade. So that has taught the funds to weigh in all these risks before investing. It's all a lesson. So from that lesson, the I wouldn't say going forward the risk will be will not be there at all, but it will be minimized to a larger extent having learned the lesson hardly. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Niels, sorry, can I just come in with one pointer? Sure, sure, go ahead. Yeah, sure. So in, in addition to what Kumaran rightly said, you know, that um, during the last four or five years, we have seen RERA, demonetization, GST, IBC, which has entirely changed the structure of the industry. There's a lot of transparency and accountability. One more aspect that we realize is that the share of uh, listed as well as leading players is increasing. You know, and just to share a data point with everyone, uh, way back in 2017, the, the share of these players was hardly 17% in overall sales. But if we look at it today, it's around 35 to 40%. And it's going to increase because there's a lot of consolidation happening in the market. Only good corporate players with good financial backing are now kind of going to exist in the market. The smaller fly-by-night operators might just vanish. A lot of them have already vanished. You know, so that gives more uh, strength to the sector. Okay. Shekhar, any thoughts on, you know, 
the different routes of investing in real estate is sort of going through a fund more efficient than physically buying a house i'll again fall back upon dipali's point one of the biggest concern is about liquidity and so if you are thinking as an investor uh, you should really think about the liquidity concern because although it's true that as an investor you probably have slightly deeper pockets than a usual home buyer but still at the end of the day you don't know when you might want to cash in on a rainy day and so it's really really important to also see the liquidity of these markets uh, the only concern uh, which is not so true for india right now because we don't have data for a very long period of time but we need to look at how these funds perform and the market is not doing so well because at least in the case of the us we see that uh, the real estate market is usually tied to general market conditions as well and so if the economy is going down that's the time you want to liquidate the fund and that's the time when real estate funds actually do really bad and so that would be a concern uh, for the indian market as well and i think uh, that is a cause of worry because generally you wouldn't want to exit the market but if you exit at the time when it's at the bottom then probably it's not good for investors yeah i just wanted to check neil if i'm not wrong i think maybe a uh, an year back or a couple of years back you had also did an article on some amc backed real estate funds uh, uh, returning back the money uh, with uh, at a loss and i think if it i'm not wrong it was for 3 4 such read based products which are now currently being mentioned yeah, that's right is it true so uh, my other uh, kind of uh, looking forward concern is uh, the funds or the products which we are talking now which allow one to invest alternatively into real estate uh, do they have a track record or uh, something has changed which i am missing out kumaran how do you counter that uh dipali the new fund the new gen funds Yes, they have a track record for per se. I can talk for mine. Uh, so currently, we've launched the third fund in the market. The first fund, without giving much information on it, but I'm, uh, with what I, what I can divulge, the first fund we've written close to around 85% of the capital back, which is just three and a half years in this market with returns. So the, the track record is being built, but it's in a uh, at a small level. It takes some time to be digested in the market and. as you were aware the negative sentiments uh, propagate faster than the positive feedbacks yeah so uh, what i was saying is uh, the real estate funds are not an alternative to the re- uh, mainstream real estate investment it's an alternative to even your share market investments because it's riskier the less riskier because you hold the security and uh, yields are not that different if you see in a long term so Yeah, I, I'll just make it easy. No, uh, I just was wanting to understand when you said it's less riskier. Uh, are you referring to volatility? Because if my funds are tied up for a particular period, how does it make it less riskier? I mean, uh, can I Dip- get it when I want? Sure. So the only volatility and liquidity are hand in hand. So you can't have both. Okay. So if if you want a liquid asset, it will be always volatile. so if you want a stable returns yes it will have a certain degree of illiquidity so right from your fds and other aspects so you know uh, it, it's a matrix where you want to fit yourself and i think uh, kumaran your fund has a 5 year lock in is that yes the la- the latest fund has a 5 year lock in however sure. the principles have been returned uh, right from third year onwards i mean as and when the money comes back sure fair. though it's not mandatory yeah the other new uh, and you know extremely popular option of investing in real estate is reits and to a lesser extent invits but particularly reits is something that you know is is catching a lot of investor fancy does anyone want to come in on you know is are reits the best way to approach this space neil can i come in sure then yeah sure so uh, i would not say uh, these are the best ones to uh, enter into the market but yes this gives us an opportunity to bite into the commercial real estate story of india you know because if you if you look at typical investment products we all as indians understand houses but we don't know like how do i buy a a small office on my own say costing a 50 to 70 lakh how do i then lease it out you know but the commercial office story is not going anywhere while covid and pandemic we all started to think oh work from home is the next big thing now we don't need offices anymore but that's not the case you know and um, 
a few reasons i will just state here quickly and uh, then continue on the reach point so the the reasons that support work from home is not going to be here forever is our houses are very very small you know neil so we have like 5 600 700 or maybe a 1000 foot house and we are not nuclear families as a country we a lot of people have uh, joined family so there are many people at home so finding a room for everyone who's working is very tough also internet connectivity is a big challenge like on this panel only there are times when our call drops off you know working from home is going to be a big big issue and it's not going to be a long term thing also from a perspective of the culture the gossip the discussions that happen over in the uh, office rooms you know office meeting rooms so that brings me to a point that look at reach this is an investment opportunity for you to participate in the commercial office spaces growth story and if you look from a uh, purely from a reach price share price perspective you've seen that even after the pandemic reach prices have started to you know pick up immediately not all three of two have already picked up you know and we have seen that they are in green so definitely investors retail or institutional are viewing reach as a good opportunity to invest and participate in the growth story and it's early days uh, so we just have like three reach yeah. sorry money yeah just concluding that we just have three reads yeah it's a very early days for the indian read market exactly. yeah thanks money so uh, uh neil if you have to look at reads as an asset class in country such as the us right it's uh, become like a trillion dollar asset class and uh, uh we are late to the party but my understanding is that sebi has drafted rules for read operations which are kind of comparable to the best in class worldwide right uh, from an investor safety perspective uh, etc right second is that uh, reads typically you know they can only put in certain categories of office space which is like a grade a commercial office space uh, and bundle it and uh, if you look at the the pe investment trends over the last few years there's been a lot of money which is coming into commercial while uh, the jury is still out there in terms of whether it's going to be uh or a hybrid work from home uh we all anticipate that uh, you know ultimately we will get into some form of hybrid work from home uh where you come into the office let's say two days or three days a week and then you can work from home for a couple of days a week added to this is the fact that uh over the years right the office space has been largely dense so for example if you take at countries such as the us right uh, the average uh, space a person gets is around 120 to 150 square foot whereas in india if you look at a bpo kind of setup uh typically you end up with giving like 70 to 80 square foot per person right so uh even if we were to go to move towards a hybrid uh you know form of working you know offices But will have to be diversified if i could play devil's advocate for a minute yeah and mm-hmm. suggest that REITs are essentially pools of commercial real estate which builders have offloaded right i mean they have taken off the balance sheet and given to investors now why would they give right. their best assets to investors in in fact they would probably give the worst right uh, no, man yeah so yeah, please go ahead. yeah please go ahead please oh. Uh, see, as as one of the investor, I'm just saying, uh, investors are also not fooled to pick up the uh, bad assets. So we, I mean, investors pick up the assets which which gives the returns faster and be it better. Whereas the developers generally have a long term one. And only one more thought, I'll just leave it on read. Uh, as Virendra said, uh, the share prices are increasing, but uh, let's please be wary of the uh, share price increase or share price fluctuation. for the reits metrics reit metrics is the yield so yield is different and share price metrics may normalize going forward as more reit product comes in so the yield is more comparable to the fixed income products and not the equity products that's right sorry money go on no no it's um, fine you know i i really don't think uh, you know that uh, developers can afford to offload the worst assets because the assets will have a certain qualifying threshold and uh, secondly you know uh, developers are in for the long haul when they put in uh, you know their assets into reit so uh, the aspiration is to kind of build a larger portfolio and uh, then offload it on to reit so uh, i don't think uh, it, it's going to be a case of adverse selection when it uh, investing in reit you get uh, the worst tax so i have a different point of view there 
Shekhar, what what would you say? Is there a case of adverse selection? I mean, there is, but I think I would add on to Mani's point over here. Diversification is very important. We shouldn't think that developers have very very deep pockets. They also want to diversify. So it, I don't think uh, uh, it would apply to a lot of cases that they would only offload the worst properties. They are also looking for diversification in their business. And so I wouldn't be too, super worried about it. And then in general, talking about REITs and investment in the real estate, I think it's a, and I'm giving a broader point, taking the discussion slightly on a more macroeconomic side. Uh, yeah, investment in real estate, maybe commercial property is also very costly. So it definitely provides a good way to invest there. But I think the important point to look at here is, are you long on the Indian story or not? And if we are thinking of that India is going to grow in the long run, irrespective of how the uh, post-COVID work from home scenario works out, I think India would still need a lot of home space as well as a lot of working space. So from that perspective, I think if you're long on the Indian story, then you would be long on the commercial real estate in India. Yeah, I just wanted to say, uh, build on that point, which I think someone mentioned that investors understand the logic and they're intelligent. To that point, two things. One, what we've seen happen in COVID, not just in the country, all over the world about people being vaccine shy and refusing to wear masks uh, only makes me strengthen my belief that stupidity is immeasurable it's mm-hmm. immense it's infinite so on that logic uh, building this and saying uh, one can look at buying a product because uh, i mean uh, starting point for uh, saying that people are buying the product because they understand is dubious because we also have zillions of people buying unit linked insurance plans so my approach coming in from the retail angle there are lots of things in personal finance in retail households not right so there is from my end for my clients there is absolutely no tearing hurry to go into something which may not be so well understood when i haven't had a chance to for those clients uh, make everything else in order Talking about HNIs, the story obviously shifts because maybe uh, all of their other things are addressed and they can probably look for this icing on the cake and also uh, going with the ground logic that they have more to risk. Uh, so with that starting point, they could look at it. But uh, at this stage, I find even REIT funds or uh, whichever products are on offer a little early to uh, jump with both feet in. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we have about 20 minutes left, so feel free to raise your hands. I have a couple of points yet to discuss in the panel, but uh, if people raise their hands in between, I'll admit one or two questions. So let me just uh, conclude this point on REITs then, uh, which is essentially a bet on commercial real estate. So according to Shekhar, uh, if you believe in the India story, the macro story, then uh, broadly speaking, commercial real estate should do well. Now, one interesting point which Mani made was about geographic uh, changes. Uh, you mentioned the markets in Mumbai and Pune, and then you spoke about tier two cities. Are there geographies that are doing better than others, that are more promising than others? See, I, uh, <clears throat> again, to, to this question, you know, I have to uh, really point out uh, that the geographies doing better than others are usually those. Uh, uh, you know, where the government is more forthcoming, where this infrastructure development is taking place, uh, and uh, where you're seeing like uh, state, go- state governments, and also, you know, where uh, you're seeing like uh, emergence of new industries, and uh, you're seeing the commercial sector take off. And one example is Hyderabad, right? Uh, so, from nowhere over the last few years, Hyderabad has jumped to be either number three or number number two or number three, uh, depending on the quarter you look at in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the commercial sector supply as well as absorption. So uh, typically we have seen like uh, demand there, right? If you look at markets like, for example, uh, uh, Hyderabad, Pune, uh, I think, you know, the, the whole IT segment and uh, people seem to be more gung-ho on IT and expect a lot more 
offshoring and nearshoring of jobs to India, right? So you typically see like constant demand. In fact, in Pune, the demand is very, very consistent, right? Uh, uh, you know, not seasonality or, you know, and all of that, right? You see that demand being pretty consistent. Is there uh, if you look at a market like for... Factors? Sorry, I just wanted to uh, get one clarity. Yeah. Is there an affordability yeah. factor? I would assume that the big metros, Mumbai, Delhi, NCR, are, uh, you know, ticket size-wise and uh, perhaps even per square foot-wise extremely expensive. Is that what is diverting demand to cities yeah. like Pune or Bangalore? No. Uh, see, if you look at a, if you look at typically as Mumbai, right? For Mumbai, it's become like a whole big MMR region. And the city is, uh, you know, it's constantly pushing boundaries. So if you look at uh, M- Mumbai, right, well, there's some um, level of activity which is happening in South Mumbai uh, and in areas like Kolaba and all of that. And you still find Aderi, etc. doing well. Uh, you know, the Western line, you see like places like Mira Road and Virar, Vasai, uh, you know, on the, the whole, uh, uh, you know, Navi Mumbai side. You're seeing like a lot of activity, particularly in places like uh, Dombivili and Kalyan, etc. Right. So in Mumbai, uh, if you look at uh, the mix of uh, how the products are sold, uh, affordable housing tends to take about like uh, 50 odd percent of the total sales which are taking place in city like Mumbai. How, right. How so affordability is affordable housing in Mumbai. Broadly, you know, define affordable housing as up to, let's say, about 50 lakhs, 45 to 50 lakhs. So that's the kind of definition that we take towards affordable housing, right? Uh, if you look at cities like typically in, uh, Bangalore or in Pune, right, the uh, mid-market segments do do well, which is like 50 lakhs to about one CR, right? And uh, if you look at uh, has year or last year, you know, amongst the tier one cities, I would point out Kolkata, right? There's not much happening in the market either in terms of uh, new supply. There seems to be some amount of development in the commercial space which is taking place. But that's not a market which is uh, which has been growing very, very strongly. We are starting to see new launches in the market. We are starting to see some affordable housing come into the, in the market in places like Dum Dum, in Madhya Gram and, and all of that, right? So again, right, uh, it's it's largely sure. dependent on the outlook of the city in terms of new industries and uh, the, the whole, uh, you know, the commercial sector and all of that. Sure, sure. The point will come in on that. Sorry, I just wanted a clarification to what Mani said. He said 50% sales is happening in affordable housing. Did he mean in terms of units or did he mean in terms of quantum? No, I'm referring in terms of units. <clears throat> thanks, thanks. Okay, that's very interesting. So 50% of um, units in Mumbai are less than 50 lakhs that are being sold currently. Is that right? Yeah, yes, yeah. Neil, okay. uh, can I just comment to this point? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So what money is trying to say is that the, the city is growing northward, right? And while, you know, as a discussion, we all feel, yeah, Mumbai, there's nothing affordable. But there are a lot of peripheral areas where activity is happening on the central suburbs as well as the western suburbs. And there are there are properties which are priced at 40, 50 lakh. And, and as we are all working from home, and maybe a lot of IT-driven companies will continue to work from home, there is a huge preference for residing in the peripheral locations. And that makes that makes the city active. So if you if you look at the inventory overhang also, at an MMR level, we just have around 40 months of inventory overhang, which is not bad for the scale of uh, a city like Mumbai. You know, if you compare just with NCR, NCR is still not out of the, the bad days. You know, we have an 80-month inventory overhang. So we we have to understand where the the city dynamics, how the city dynamics are panning out, you know. So affordable housing has driven Mumbai's uh, real estate activity significantly, and that's that's kind of you know uh, helping the recovery as well. Okay, Kumaran, any thoughts on geographic uh, spread? And uh, after that, uh, we have only about twelve minutes left, so I'll take closing remarks. Uh, see the the apartment offered at say Hyderabad for seventy lakhs. Uh, the guy in Bombay is not going to buy it here because of affordability. So whoever is residing in Hyderabad with his, his own, with his own income level and affordability is going to buy. So every city has its own affordability and other things, but that is not driving. What is driving is the need and demand and the product offer for certain categories. 
So, see, Hyderabad, Bangalore, the southern-based cities are predominantly the mid-categories. So, hence, it's picking up easier. The loan process and everything is faster. Whereas in uh, Bombay or in Delhi earlier, it was a little larger ticket size in in the cities. I mean to say, so hence, it was taking little longer time for them to uh, do the decision making in terms of purchase or and even arranging for their own contribution on getting the home loans. So those are the other challenges which which is coming into it, and, and there's a lot of premium playing into it. So touching, I mean, apart from the affordability, the region and it's as Mani said, the its own dynamics, the, the work dynamics, the growth dynamics of each region is increasing. And so as he said, the South and Pune is actually picking up. Mumbai peripheral areas, yes, are picking up, and NCR is yet to follow trails. Okay, fantastic. Uh, so we have only ten minutes left. I'd like to take closing remarks now. Virendra, what could you say to an investor, probably in one of India's big metros? A, how do they pick a, a property to buy, and uh, where do they pick their property? Um, so that's a tough one. As I, I think, as everyone discussed here, we are not in a investor market per se. It continues to be an end user market. So if you are looking at exponential returns in a matter of few years, I don't think it's the right time. Unfortunately, India real estate has been oversold as an investment market, and uh, the days of super capital appreciation are gone. You know the rental yields were always low, so uh, your your bet on which location and which city depends on your preference, your affordability, what kind of quantum you want to invest. You know, so it it is a very personal thing where you want to invest, but it's definitely not an end user driven market. Sorry, it is an end user driven market, right? I'm sorry, it is yes. an end. My bad. Neil, I would like to add one point to this question. Uh, just one point. See, again, price appreciation is not a factor of investment. As I told you, the amount of return you're generating from your investment of just twenty percent of the overall asset class is the uh, mathematics which needs to be seen. I think in that way, uh, real estate will fare better, given that the cost of funds is much lesser now. Yeah. I would tend to differ a little bit there because inflation adjusted, it has been negative. So. Yeah, it allows for a higher leverage, but you still need some positive level of returns, which we haven't seen uh, in the past years. And probably the sad part is that we always have some relative or uh, some friend who has had tremendous return in the past, and people still think that they can get those kind of uh, uh, exponential returns, which is probably not true in the past years, and definitely not true in a lot of cities. And uh, finally, just one point on uh, continuing with what Viren said uh, in terms of like which city to invest. Uh, and this is again coming uh, uh, from an economist point of view. We also tend to look at past data to project which cities are going to do better in the future. Yes, Hyderabad has done tremendously well in the past few years. And I happen to live there, but uh, uh, it's possible that it wouldn't do so well. Going forward into the future, because I guess it's also reaching the level of affordability issues that some of the other Indian cities have uh, run by into. accumulating the asset uh, or yeah. wealth. So yeah. that from that angle, yes, uh, you're generating at a low cost. Yeah, I think in the choice of location, uh, all of us are probably not looking at every city under the sun. We probably look at cities which we are only familiar with. As you know, Shekhar, you spoke about Hyderabad. Dipali, what do you say to an investor or indeed an end user? How do they pick a property? Yeah, uh, so I think as an end user, uh, the biggest uh, criteria to look at is: uh, Do I like that place? Do I like that building? Do I need the house? Uh, whatever, since eighty-five percent of people are end users, do I need that size of house? Am I comfortable taking that kind of loan? And just to add to what Kumaran said, uh, on one end, uh, while he mentioned that the uh, one looks at buying a real estate not for appreciation, so if I am buying a real estate leveraged not for appreciation, I would be very worried for the investor. One, whatever the loan rates are, even if they are six and a half. That is the negative I pay, so that's an interest cost, which is a sunk cost. Plus, I'm not getting, I'm not looking at that property for appreciation. I don't know what we are looking for then. And uh, just to kind of uh, make it very simple, on the uh, title of your conversation, has the real estate cycle in India turned? Um, my answer will be uh, well, well, well. Mani, last 
last word yeah, but see the uh, see i think uh, it's more an end user driven market and uh, as i mentioned before a statistic of around 10 to 15% of investors i would be a little wary of uh, investing in this market particularly if you look at uh, the past data right uh, except for let's say hyderabad and uh, you know it's uh, uh, really not appreciated quite significantly and i think hyderabad has reached a point where it's going to cool off now uh, for some point in time so uh, i mean for people who are looking at end use uh, of real estate i think it's very important to one of all understand the kind of financial commitments that uh, you're getting into uh, second is looking at the location and uh, if you're going to buy uh, in the peripheral parts of the city then you you have to look at for example the master plan uh, you know look at the infrastructure look at the physical and uh, social infrastructure to see uh, you know if uh, that area is going to be livable and the a community is going to emerge in that place so for example recently um what our survey indicated was that a lot of people are now focused on healthcare uh you know as a key factor in determining where to buy a home uh so looking at uh, the financial commitments the, the uh, choosing the locality carefully and more importantly choosing the developer and the product right while we still have the protection of rera in place uh you know rera is more an approval uh, afforded to a particular project but does not necessarily mean that the project will be completed and delivered on time so it's important to look at the developer's track record and see their history in in delivering homes of uh, quality uh, and uh, those are the kinds of things that people need to do of course if you're buying land totally different level of scrutiny in terms of documentation in terms of title so even in the case of land it's advisable to buy uh projects which have been launched by developers so very important to do the homework in terms of the type of the property and the area where you want to buy an interesting point that people are looking at healthcare as well uh, as a factor when deciding location probably a grim yep. reminder of the times uh, but thank <laughs> yes. you very much nani and uh, to the rest sure. of uh, my panel as well and indeed to the audience for very patiently listening to us thank you all Thank you for tuning in. We will be back next week with a fresh episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at neel.b@livemint.com. To give us feedback, you can reach out to us also on HT Smartcast. We are present on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn and Clubhouse. To listen to more podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com. और सुनो नए नजरिए से दिस वॉज अ मिंट प्रोडक्शन प्रॉट यू बाय एच टी स्मार्ट कास्ट एच टी स्मार्ट कास्ट एवरीबॉडी इन योर क्रू आइडेंटिफाइज इज आई द बिग मैक बर्गर मिकनगेट्स और मिक क्रिस्पी सैंडविच बट योर द फलेओ फिश सैंडविच ऑल डे That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba.